Welcome back, everybody, to Bill's Chat, a pro football podcast. This is Josh. Back with me tonight in the co-pilot seat is Luca, fresh off of a week off. Thanks again to Stokes for filling in for Luca. Luca, I assume it's good to be back. Yeah, good to be back. Um, It was nice having a little bit of a week off. You know, it's kind of like a fresh breather, but then all of a sudden I feel fresh and ready to go as well here, you know, sitting here and ready to record episode 14. Yeah, we were getting ready for this episode and, you know, I'm, I just to kind of peek behind the curtain here, like a lot of what we do when we're getting ready to record is, um, Luca is basically texting me like, Hey, what time can you record? What time can you record? And generally it is hinging on when my kids fall asleep. Um, and so tonight what I was doing was we had just recently gotten my daughter a Nintendo switch, um, and was playing that with her some tonight. And it's really cool. They have some of those old, old NES Nintendo games and Super Nintendo games that probably are even before your time, Luca. And they have the N64 games that might be creeping up to when maybe you started playing video games. Oh, I'm very familiar with N64. Yes. And so it just got me thinking like, so I, you know, Luca and I actually, one of the first things we ever did together was playing a Madden franchise league together. And both of us, for as much as we love football, we'll just be the first ones to tell you we, we don't play Madden anymore. We, we, the game is not appealing. They seem to only really care about the card collecting mode, Mutt, Madden Ultimate Team. We're both sports fans. We love sports video games, but you know, hopefully at some point in our lives, Madden draws us back in because there's really no football alternative. But I was playing that game tonight, and I it just hit me like, as much as we love football, and I know you're also a hockey guy, we don't play Madden. What is your game that you're playing right now, most of all? Ooh, great question. I mean, I'm I'm definitely I. I used to play a lot of Call of Duty and then there was a while where I didn't play any FPSs at all, first person shooters. And then uh, once I bought the PS5, I kind of wanted to see what the reactive triggers were like. And so I knew one of my good friends uh, who had played a lot of Call of Duty. I bought the Cold War, uh, you know, Black Ops Cold War a couple of years ago when I got my PS5 and then it kind of sucked me back in. Right. So I, I do a lot of that. If I'm not playing sports games, I will say, I mean, between NHL and FIFA as well, although now it's EA football or something, whatever. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, Um, that is generally what I play. I also like the uh, PlayStation version of uh, Roller Coaster Tycoon. I can't remember what it's actually called, but I've been playing a lot of that recently, just like when I want brainless gaming. Um, But it's generally Call of Duty or just brainless gaming on whatever the Roller Coaster Tycoon. I think it's Planet Coaster it's called. Uh, I've been playing a lot of that recently, just something that's really mindless and you just start randomly doing it in the background. Ever since I became a dad, my time to play games has really shrunk down. It really is that one to two hours after everybody else in my house is asleep and I pretty much make the decision every night. Okay, I'm trading sleep for gaming, so I really have to make sure I'm enjoying myself. So I don't do it every night for sure, maybe three or four nights a week, but I've really gotten into MLB the show Um, to me. Um, they have an online mode called Diamond Dynasty. And, and similar to Madden Ultimate Team, you collect cards, you build your team. There's a lot of ways to interact in online games and offline games. But unlike Madden Ultimate Team, there's no pressure to feel like you have to pay to have the best team in the game. There's there's many ways to build it. And I've never been the biggest baseball fan. Like I was a much bigger Cardinal fan when I was younger, St. Louis Cardinals, that is. Um, but as life has gone on, really for me, sports is diehard Buffalo Bills fan, diehard NFL fan casually watch the other sports. I like NBA. I like, I like baseball. I pay attention to hockey. I I do like soccer, but I don't really have a team. Uh, but yeah, so it's just weird. I I was thinking about that tonight. Like my, 
love in life is football and there's just not a football game that appeals to me. But what does appeal to me, Luca, when it comes to football is talking about the Bills. That's what we specialize on this show. And I am excited about the series we are going to be starting tonight. It's a four-week series that we're referring to as Rivals Watch. And what Rivals Watch is, is we had our schedule breakdown show where we went through the games and just talked about it from a high level of view. On Rivals Watch, we have broken the schedule down into segments of games that are all similar for whatever reason. And we are going to focus on that segment of games for one particular show. Tonight, we are going to focus on the NFC North teams. The Bills play all four teams from the NFC North. And we are going to drill down into these teams and figure out what they've been up to this offseason, what their season looked like last year, front office moves they've made, roster moves they've made, what we can expect from them. Are they better or worse from last year? And then at the end of the show, we're going to talk about, okay, we have these four games against the NFC North. What's a realistic record prediction for the Bills against these teams? I'm looking forward to this, Luca. It reminds me a lot of when we did our mock draft show. You and I, look, we could we do research for the show. You and I could roll out of bed and have a two-hour Bills conversation any day of the week. We just, we're obsessed with this team. We're, we're in the trenches with this team all the time. I really enjoy the challenge of getting out of our comfort zone and trying to put ourselves in the seat of another team. So for preparation for this show, I've been reading articles written by beat writers for other teams. I actually was listening to podcasts for the Packers and the Vikings and the Lions and the Bears, just trying to get a temperature of like, I wanted to hear some podcasts right after the draft of like what the fans were thinking, um, the, the, the needs they thought they had that they didn't hit and really take a temperature of it that way. I, I really love that point of it. Um, so before we get into it, just I know you're just as excited as I am. We both know we're diehard Bills fans, but we also like to show that we have that range to talk about the rest of the NFL. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's funny. Um, there's almost an enjoyment, and I know I've talked about it in great length about what I do on Sundays. Um, there's almost an enjoyment sometimes when, and we're going to have plenty of it this year, when the Bills are not playing on a Sunday. So you really get to sit back a little bit more and just watch the league come this fall or every fall, you know, and I have my four TV set up, hopefully five this year, um, where I can just really dive into other teams that I might not get the opportunity of watching if there's a Bills game on. I mean, especially say the Bills and Cardinals are playing at the same time. I do not get the chance to really pay attention to anyone else because I already have to divide my attention to two different teams there. Um, And that is just a task in itself. Uh, But I really do enjoy uh, the NFL as a whole. I mean, I think the interesting thing that's been brought up before when, especially with people that do fantasy is I think it's my generation. It's definitely the tail end of your generation too. And and I know you're, we're not too far off here, but like tail end of your generation into my generation, the fandom kind of really transitioned from team fandom into player fandom. And I think that kind of explains why it's almost uh, people of our age, Josh, kind of really do enjoy the league as a whole because we like to really key in on, you know, electric players such as Justin Jefferson, who we may name drop later tonight Mm -hmm. and things like that, that you just really do want to make sure you catch and get to enjoy that player in the league, even though they're not on the team that of which you support. And um, it it really is fun to kind of be able to sit back and look at the league. So yeah, I'm very excited to uh, go down this journey of this series that we plan on doing for the next few weeks. 
uh, and diving a little bit deeper in the teams that the Bills have this season. That's a great point you bring up. And if you're of a certain age, if you're of my age, even and I'm, I'm in my late thirties, but I grew up in a, in a time when you NFL Sunday ticket wasn't around the whole time I was a child. I want to say Sunday ticket came out in the mid nineties and I started watching football in the early nineties. So there was a time when you had your local games on TV. So if you had a team in your market, like our bills fans had the bills games, and then you'd have one out of market game on at the same time. Sometimes it'd usually be the best game of the week. And then if you were lucky, you had a third game, a, one of the networks would have a double header and then you'd have obviously your Sunday night and Monday night games to go there. But nowadays with social media, with um, the way that you can just listen to radio stations and podcast, like I, what I just said, I listened to a Packers podcast, a Vikings podcast, a Lions podcast all today when I was just working out and sitting at my desk at work. Um, the information is readily available. If you have a smartphone in your hand and you, and you know enough tricks, you can watch any team and any game without paying a dime. Luca and I are both obsessed psychopaths. So we pay for the Sunday ticket package, but if we wanted to get around it, we certainly could. And to me, it almost makes it to where you don't just have to blindly support your local market team. You can branch out and say like, Hey, I, I grew up in Pittsburgh, but there's this really cool quarterback in Arizona, Kyler Murray that I want to root for. Well, damn it. I'm going to root for Kyler Murray. I can watch all of his games if I want to. So there's many examples out there like that. I think that is happening with younger kids today as they are gravitating to players. They like fantasy has a lot to do with that. Um, but it's just interesting to see how, how we've evolved as sports fans. But what I also find interesting about this NFC North, as I was diving into it tonight, Luca, it reminds me so, so much of the AFC East just a few years ago, back when Tom Brady was still in the division. You have one team who's kind of run the division. It's not on the same level. The Packers are certainly not a dynasty like the Patriots were under Tom Brady, but you have one team that's run the division for the most part on the arm of an elite quarterback who is head and shoulders better than any quarterback in the division. You have three other teams in the division who at multiple times have taken turns being decent but never really caught up to the consistency of the top team. And now it kind of feels like that elite quarterback that's been giving them nightmares for the past decade and a half is finally coming up to the finish line. And it's just interesting watching these teams trying to position themselves for life after Aaron Rodgers, much like we saw the Bills, Jets, and Dolphins position themselves for life after Tom Brady. You saw the Dolphins take a, we're just going to go with what we have. We're going to, we're not going to try to build young. We're going to try to be the best veteran team we can when Brady leaves. And you saw the Bills and Jets take the opposite approach is we're going to get a young quarterback in-house. We're going to have him groomed up and ready. So when Brady's gone, we're ready to go, Sam Darnold and Josh Allen. So that was interesting. The Pack the Dolphins ended up punting on that and then got two in-house. We all know the story there. There's some very similar stories just within this division that I'm excited to get into tonight. But let's start off with the king of the division, the Green Bay Packers. The Green Bay Packers have, for the most part, run this division for the better part of the last two decades since Aaron Rodgers was drafted back in 2005. Their head coach, Matt LaFleur, Matt LaFleur has been the head coach for the last three years. He's 39-10 and 10 as a head coach. Um, they did lose their offensive coordinator this offseason. Nathaniel Hackett became the head coach of the Denver Broncos, and they promoted from within offensive line coach Adam Stenovich to offensive coordinator. This team, much like the Bills, it starts and ends with its quarterback. They have some very good players on both sides of the ball, but this team is 
cons- consistently contending because of who is slinging the rock. Aaron Rodgers, two straight MVP seasons back to back. Last year, the Packers were 10th in total offense, 8th in passing, 18th in rushing, 9th in total defense. Um, their season did come to an end probably a little early for their taste. They had the number one seed in the playoffs and they lost their first playoff game in the second round to Jimmy G and the Niners on Lambeau field. And then this off season, here's, here's the highlights of what they've done. They traded Devonte Adams to the Las Vegas Raiders. And many people thought that they were going to take the picks they got for Devonte Adams and restock the offensive shelves, but they ended up with two first round picks taking Devontae Wyatt and Quay Walker, two defensive players. They did grab a couple receivers later in the draft, including Christian Watson, who Luke and I are big fans of. They lost a couple other key players along the way, Marquez Valding-Stantling, Billy Turner, Zadarius Smith. And overall, to me, Luca, when I look at this Packers team, the read I get on them is they remind me a lot of the, the Patriots with Brady, where they know they have a great quarterback, but they aren't going to just force feed the fact that they need to put weapons around him. And it's almost to me like the Packers just feel like no matter what we have around our elite quarterback, our offense is going to be respectable. So let's just build up our defense, try to be elite there, and we're going to have a really solid team. So looking at this Packers team, Luca, I think it's tough to make the argument that they got better this offseason because they arguably lost the best wide receiver in the entire league. Uh, but they're still, to me, the top dog in this division. And I see them as probably one of, if not the favorite in the entire NFC. So with all of that as a backdrop, I'm going to kick it over to you. What are your first high-level thoughts when we talk about the Green Bay Packers? I think you hit a lot of points right on there. Um, first and foremost, the what you kind of finished with. Yeah, they are still an NFC favorite. Uh, that might more be because the NFC really didn't improve around them as well. Um, I mean, when you, when you look at the NFC as a whole, not to get too much into it, it's not like the AFC where all of a sudden there's just quarterback after quarterback coming into the conference. And I mean, you could probably go eight, nine deep with potential, you know, top 10 quarterbacks Uh, again, I mean, eight, nine deep top 10, that doesn't leave a lot of room for error there. But my point is the Packers almost got better or stayed the same in the NFC just because the rest of the conference around them did not change as well. And if they did, they probably got worse than better, if that makes any sense. Um, but yeah, especially when it comes to respect to this division, it's very hard to see them not repeating as division champs, not repeating like going five and one or six and oh in the division and kind of really locking that bad boy up just looking at conference seating to hopefully make people come to Lambeau Field. Not that it mattered last season, but it's still a place you want people to come and play you against because it is not the standard operation when it comes to a stadium or environment. Um, But with the Packers, yeah, you have Aaron Rodgers. You're always going to be a legitimate threat to anyone in the NFL for that matter, just because there's a reason he was back-to-back MVPs. I mean, he is just the past two seasons, especially he has been phenomenal. He has single-handedly been the only reason Allen doesn't have at least one MVP. I think a lot could agree on. Um, he's been now a lot of that success though, has come with Devonte Adams being just first team, all pro and unbelievable. And as you said, questionably the best receiver in the NFL, he's gone, but 
the Packers also last season, just as a note for everyone around there and thinks that there will be a major drop off. The Packers even last season showed they can win football games against good teams without Devonte Adams. They did it against the Cardinals in Arizona on Thursday night with a short week. They had absolutely no one at wide receiver. They didn't even have Alan Lazard or MVS. They were scraping the bottom of the barrel with Amari Rogers and um, trying to think who else was even there. I think they had like Malik Taylor. Randall I mean, Cobb, I assume, was there. Yeah, Randall Cobb was probably uh, healthy, I believe. I think he was even banged up, though, Like, so he wasn't 100%. Mm-hmm. He did get two touchdowns, I think, that game, but it was like literally two catches in the red zone <laughs> for two touchdowns. It was something like that. But regardless, Aaron Rodgers can lead a team with scraps to still be a very good team. And then add to your point as well, I do think that's exactly kind of the philosophy they have. We have Aaron Rodgers. We have an MVP caliber quarterback. We don't need to sell out and getting him weapons. And rather what we can do is just keep beefing up the defense, just keep reloading what we can there and just making that be a dominant force as best as it can be. And by adding Devontae Wyatt as, you know, a three, four defensive end, you got Quay Walker to kind of be there. Tremaine Edmonds, essentially for anyone that needs to understand what he's probably going to be for them. Um, He, it, it just, they lost Devon, uh, what you call it? I think they lost uh, Devonje or Zadarius Smith. I'm sorry. I keep wanting to say Devonje Campbell, but they signed him to like a five year deal, which is right. Yeah. Zadarius Smith went to the Vikings. Yeah. They released Zadarius Smith, though. So then you just go in and you, you re signed and re upped Preston Smith. You bring in a 3 4 DN like Devontae Wyatt. Kenny Clark, I think, is still there for their nose tackle needs. And you just kind of reload and just come back at it. I think they even got Jaron Reed as well to kind of mm-hmm. be that 3 4 DN. Um, for depth purposes, he might actually kind of pick his game up a little bit. I, I think he's kind of become a forgotten thing, but he was a pretty good prospect coming out of Bama. He got drafted to be a defensive tackle for the Seahawks and kind of fell off a little bit. He has shown, you know, flashes here and there. I think health has kind of played a, you know, contributing factor in there. Um, but that's definitely a notable person that's also on this team. Um, but yeah, they they had Eric Stokes as their first round pick. Shout out Stokes uh last season and he did you know pretty well to be opposite of Jair Alexander who just got a massive payday I mean I could go on and on I mean their defense is very very good it their defense alone should keep them in every game even if they had to be you know even if Rodgers is out and Jordan Love is in the defense is good enough to keep them in games it's just now your offensive production with Jordan Love is going to plummet because you don't have Aaron Rodgers to pick up the slack with the pieces that are left on offense um, but yeah, I mean, if Christian Watson can really explode on the scene, that would be big for the Packers. I mean, that would be huge. I don't think anyone expects a rookie wide receiver to do that, especially when they're as raw as Christian Watson, very, very talented freak athlete, but there's a reason he fell all the way to the second round, early second round, but still second round. It's because he is raw. He's probably going to need a little bit of time before he, you know, gets his groove in the NFL. That's also why you bring in Sammy Watkins for essentially vet men. And maybe Sammy Watkins can be that starting receiver opposite of Alan Lazard uh, up until like, let's say week eight when Sammy Watkins dies, like he always does. And then Christian Watson picks up from there. You never know. Um, but yeah, I th- the Packers are still going to be a team that double digit digit wins to wrap it all up here. I mean, they're going to be double digit wins. They're going to go at least five and one of the division. So that, that just means they need to win seven games outside of their division. Uh, I think they, the doing our little bit of research here, the NFC North plays the NFC East teams. So, I mean, 
the NFC East isn't exactly full of juggernauts. Um, yeah, the Packers are going to be fine. They're, they're going to be a very, very good team. And as long as number 12, Aaron Rodgers is their quarterback, they are a serious threat against any other team in the league. And for that reason, we'll get into it soon, but it's going to be an exciting matchup when that game comes. They they remind me a lot of the Bills. Obviously, Rodgers is in a different stage of his career than Allen, but they remind me somewhat of the Bills the same way that the Chiefs do, where it's not even so much about, and maybe the Chiefs aren't on this level right now based on how strong the rest of the division is, it's not even so much about what happens in the regular season. It's about what happens when you get to the playoffs and can you contend with the big boys? Because I think we're both very confident that the Packers, barring some sort of catastrophe where Rodgers misses half the season, they are going to win the division. And like you mentioned, even if Jordan Love has to play, their defense is good enough to keep them in games. They almost beat Kansas City in Arrowhead with Jordan Love starting last year and Jordan Love doing almost nothing on offense. What I find interesting about the Packers, and you did mention, um, you mentioned their secondary Jair Alexander and Eric Stokes. They also have Rasul Douglas. They might one to three have the best top three corners in the league as far as pairings go. They have drafted very well, Jordan Love aside. They have hit on a lot of draft picks both early and late. One big key for them is going to be their offensive line health. Uh, David Bakhtiari missed the entire year last year. And then late in the year, um, Elgton Jenkins, who is either a starter at guard or tackle for them, he kind of rotates between both. He ended up tearing his ACL late in the year, so it seems kind of doubtful he's going to be ready to start the year. But to me, the Packers are the kind of team that they just need to get through the regular season healthy. And to me, the biggest question for them is, especially without Devontae Adams, because even with Devontae Adams against the Niners, it just felt like they didn't have enough in their tool bag to move the ball on a defense that was overpowering them up front. Do they have enough playmakers to win big games in January? That is the question because you mentioned Sammy Watkins. I loved Sammy Watkins coming out, but his career has been a disappointment. Maybe he gives them a little bit of something or maybe if nothing else gives them enough runway for Christian Watson to get you know, lathered up and ready to be in the NFL. They also drafted Romeo Dubs, but you're talking about a wide receiver group that's Randall Cobb, Alan Lazard. They have Robert Tunyon, who's made some plays in the league, but really is not a special tight end by any means. And Mercedes Lewis, they might have to rely on their running game. Aaron Jones is outstanding. He's obviously reaching the back nine of his career. And AJ Dillon has been an absolute bowling ball since coming into the league. So maybe they're going to try to rely more on the running game and take some of the pressure off of Aaron Rodgers. I would not expect him to win a third straight MVP. That sounds like an, oh, wow, you're not predicting to win three straight MVPs. But you look at the way they built this team, the way they trade away Devontae Adams. My guess is MVPs are cool. Rodgers probably doesn't want to take any hits. He probably wants to just be healthy going into January. And to me, this is a team that is all about what happens in January and can Aaron Rodgers get that elusive second Super Bowl win. Luca, any final thoughts on the Packers? I think we both agree they're the best team in the division. We'll get into maybe some overarching predictions on what happens when the Bills do play them. And just for the record, the Bills will be hosting the Green Bay Packers week eight when they come off of their bye week. And that game is on Sunday night football under the lights. Any final thoughts on the Packers before we move on to the next team? Yeah, I mean, my final thought on them really is, and to kind of draw back to your first uh, comments and stuff, it's interesting and what you just said. It's interesting that they trade away Devontae Adams, they lose their offensive coordinator, and then promote within with your offensive line coach. Now, that doesn't mean too, too much, but it's an offensive line coach. And as you just pointed out, 
AJ Dillon has actually been a bowling ball. And I thought last year, AJ Dillon, Dillon definitely took a big step. I can honestly see where AJ Dillon becomes kind of the primary running back. And then Aaron Jones is essentially your Alvin Kamara like guy where yes, he can still be heavily leaned on, but kind of he's out. You're trying to get him more in space rather than kind of running him through the tackles, but you want to lean on that one, two punch kind of like the, you know, saints did in 2019 and 2018 and in that era uh, with uh, Ingram and Kamara. I, I definitely see them kind of transitioning, as you put it, into more of a running game and making sure Rodgers takes less hits. It, it's an interesting kind of little highlight there where it's like, as you put it, I don't think it's outlandish to say Aaron Rodgers is most likely not getting his third straight MVP just because the offense alone could be changing in how it appears. And it may not be sexy, but it might be the best thing for this team moving forward, potentially, just because we've seen in the past two seasons what they've done had not gotten it done. So they seem to be like, OK, what can we do come January when it really matters? As you put it, they're just trying to get into the dance. And then when we get there, what we what can we do to not make the same mistakes we've been recently? I think it's a great point by you. That's going to be the challenge for them because as for as good as Kevin Stefanski has been, he's had some stinkers in the playoffs that the two years ago when they lost to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, there was a really questionable decision not to go for it. And they instead kicked the field goal and Kevin Stefanski's got roasted for it. And then last year there was the obvious mishaps on special teams that cost them the game against the 49ers, but they just could not move the ball either. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the Packers. We obviously will do a game preview whenever that game comes up. But now, Luca, let's move on to the Minnesota Vikings, because to me, this is one of the most fascinating teams, not just in this division, but in the entire league. There is so many ranges of outcomes for this team, and almost none of them would surprise me. So this offseason, the Vikings did fire Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman after eight years together, which is weird. It didn't feel like Mike Zimmer had been there for eight years, but time does fly by. And they hired Kevin O'Connell, who was the Rams offensive coordinator. They got him in late um, because the Rams obviously won the Super Bowl. So they had a a late start to their offseason and they hired a new GM. And I'm going to butcher his name, but it's Kwese Adofu Mensa. And what I've gathered about him is he is incredibly analytics driven. He comes from that PFF background of he's going to attack the draft by trading down and it's all about quantity over quality is incredibly, incredibly analytics driven. And that showed up in his first draft reminded me a lot of when the Browns went out and actually hired somebody from, from baseball to, to lead their, their front office when it came to draft picks, the Minnesota Vikings in 2021, they went eight and nine and missed the playoffs. They were 12th in total offense, 11th in passing, 17th in rushing, which seemed a little low based on what I think about their team. But the big thing about them, Luca, was they were 30th in total defense, which is kind of weird because for a while, it always felt like Minnesota had a really strong defense, but they have really deteriorated over the years. They've aged out almost all at the same time. And that secondary by the end of the year was absolutely in shambles. What's fascinating to me about the Vikings, though, and this is what I'm going to with the range of outcomes for them is a lot of times when you look back at a team season, you can look at those one score games, which way did those one score games go? And that might tell you like, okay, one score games tend to be a little bit of a flip of the coin. So if you went say one in five in one score games, 
maybe you can project like, hey, that's not going to happen the next year. That's a team that maybe is going to bump up a little bit just from natural regression. The Vikings, eight of their nine losses were one score games, but six of their eight wins were one score games. So they just, they kept playing danger. Every game was a coin flip. Um, Their off season, nothing too, too notable. Uh, They did keep Patrick Peterson around. They did sign Zadarius Smith from the Packers. They also signed our guy, horrible Harry Phillips, um, to be their nose tackle. But the biggest thing they did this offseason, Luca, and this is where I'm going to kick it over to you for our first Vikings topic of conversation is they extended Kirk Cousins. And I found this interesting because you had an opportunity this offseason to walk away from Cousins contract and it would have all lined up in a way that I think I would have preferred if I were a Vikings fan where you just ripped the bandaid off. You got rid of Mike Zimmer. You got rid of Rick Spielman. You have a new head coach and you have a new GM, why not get rid of Cousins and find a new quarterback? But the counter argument is, when you look at what the league obviously thought of these quarterbacks in the draft, with Kenny Pickett being the only one to go on the first day, and then the next one not going until the third round, clearly the NFL was not very high on these quarterbacks, so that would have left the Vikings to what, trade for like a Baker Mayfield or trade for a Deshaun Watson, which is turning out to be kind of a disaster as we speak. So maybe by default, the Vikings were forced to stick with Cousins. But before we start drilling into the rest of the Vikings, what is your initial impression of them sticking with Kirk Cousins? It's not overall surprising. Um, I think you bring up a good point when it comes to rookie quarterbacks this year. Now, the whole counter argument to that is that the 2023 quarterback draft class looks to be at this moment in time a very good one and almost a very deep one in a way uh one that could maybe rival 2018 my personal opinion it does not it doesn't actually come close um but with that in mind it again it's not overall surprising i think it's interesting when you see teams like this. I wanted to bring up a point with the Vikings tonight that um, I really feel is similar to um, bringing in a Chip Kelly when he came to the Eagles and things like that. You have a very good team, the likes of Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, Delvin Cook, Alexander Madison, when he needs to come in for Delvin Cook, because unfortunately health has been an issue, has looked like a reliable backup things like that. And then you have a defense that they just loaded back up to. Um, Hopefully the defensive backs can stay healthy, but then they even drafted Lewis sign and Andrew Booth jr. To go with Patrick Peterson, Harrison Smith, everything. The names go on and on. It's a very good roster. So why would you want to sacrifice all of that and all these veterans and one year of their career, just because you're like, Hey, how do you sell to them? oh, hey, we're looking at the future. We're looking at the 2023 draft class. We're just going to chalk this year up as it's not our year. Just play this year as is. I don't think you can do that with this kind of roster. And when you bring in a new coach, it's almost good to kind of like, if it's good enough that it should be winning games, I think you brought up a great point. While they were, it was one score games, essentially their entire season last year. And they had crazy things happen. Like early in the year last year, Last season, they played the Cardinals in Arizona, and I keep bringing that up because obviously I watch these games every snap. They only lost that game because of a bad kick at the end. It's the only reason they lost that game. They should have won that game. Delvin Cook ran for like 200 yards. He killed the Cardinals. I mean, the the Vikings were the better team on that day. The Cardinals were a playoff team. The Vikings just missed out. I, I think that's how close the Vikings are. But there's also a point to 
that's kind of because Kirk Cousins is their quarterback. And I think that's why you wanted to lead to me and things like that. Kirk Cousins is probably the reason that this team can be no better than a 10 and 7 team, in my opinion. They're almost limited by the expected, maybe above average quarterback that they have. You're going to get top 14, 15, 16 output at quarterback position on a regular basis with Kirk Cousins. Um, you, I mean, their other options were worse, so you kind of just ran it back. The only thing that was really questionable, and Kirk Cousins is the greatest contract negotiator in the history of the NFL. I know he hasn't made the most money, but somehow he has now gotten, is this his third fully guaranteed contract? So, uh, yes, because if, if you count this as an extension this offseason, it would be, yeah. Yeah, it's his third time he has gone in and gotten a fully guaranteed contract. How in the world Kirk Cousins has gotten fully guaranteed contracts? I, I just don't know. And he's been, I mean, when he was with Washington, he got franchise tagged twice. twice. Yeah. It's like, holy crap, this guy has fleeced the NFL. He is the greatest schmoozer of all time. I, I do not know how else to explain it. But regardless, I'm not saying Kirk Cousins is a horrible quarterback. He's just nothing special. He will pop up once in a while and have those games where he can throw for 300 yards and he's hitting, you know, Jefferson down the field twice for big plays and winning them a game that way. But other than that, other than those flashes in the pan, he's nothing special. He's not going to really do anything special for you. And you're really going to have to get a full team effort in order to get those wins. It's uh, They're a good enough team to do that. That's why they're always in close games. They just need to actually do that. They need to win those coin flip games. And last season, unfortunately, that really didn't happen for them. That's why they finished eight and nine. But also eight and nine was a very perfect record for that team. It's mm -hmm. like that's exactly if there wasn't the 17th game, I'm sure they don't lose that one extra game and they were eight and eight. It's just too perfect. Um, I do want to say I what I was getting at with the Chip Kelly thing, though, too, is I think teams get a boost when they are a good team. And then they get a different change at coach and, you know, it's just kind of a fresh face in there and you have the pieces all around that from top to bottom, this is a very top to bottom. If you eliminate Kirk Cousins, eliminate the quarterback position on both Green Bay and Minnesota, you could easily say that these teams are punch for punch with each other. They are very, very good. And maybe even if you take away the quarterbacks, the Vikings are a better team. I mean, oh, I think if you look at offensive skill position players, it's not even a conversation. Yeah, it, exactly. With that point. So I, I'm just taking the whole picture here. I don't want to kind of single out a single position group. But if you just take away quarterback as a unit, I think they're very, very similar to each other. I do think with the skill positions, yes, the Vikings are better. But Kirk Cousins is kind of what brings it down back to earth. And Delvin Cook is the most important piece to them. And unfortunately, he hasn't been able to stay healthy all the time. And that's been a, you know, a, their detriment, sadly, because when Delvin Cook is 100%, as I just pointed out early in the season against the Cardinals, he ran up and down the field over 200 yards, like absolutely nothing. And that was early season Cardinals as well, might I remind you, that was shutting down Derrick Henry and other elite running games. So they are a good team that gets limited by Kirk Cousins. Unfortunately, they kind of extended him for two years, I want to say it was. I don't think that means too, too much. I think they do have an eye on the 2023 draft. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
2023 draft, but they are okay and comfortable with Kirk Cousins playing a couple more years while they look at that future as well, because they just didn't like anything that could be brought in going into this year. And that's respectable. They want to, they want to kind of make sure they can have this team transition and still be competitive, even when that quarterback change eventually comes. And I honestly, I respect it a lot. I, I know Vikings fans initially hated it and they couldn't understand it. And I know a lot of NFL fans hated it and couldn't understand it. I will say this. You know what you got in Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins is a top 16 quarterback. And that's me being kind of rude. I, I feel like, I mean, that is what he is. He's the epitome of average, if not maybe above average at times. Um, But it's way better than pretty much anything else out there. And you have a very, very good team. So you don't want to just waste years essentially on this roster just because you want to be like, hey, we are focused on the future. Just you have a good thing going. I don't know their cap situation. That's the one thing I will say. I don't know where everything stands with that. So I don't know how much this is really going to hurt them. But I feel like even at a fully guaranteed contract for or an extension, I should say, for two years, this year and the next season, that can't be too, too detrimental to it. And they can easily still walk away in a couple of years. And maybe they do draft a guy in 2023 that they like, and then they can have him sit there and be behind Kirk Cousins, who will probably still be the exact same Kirk D. Cousins that we all know and love, or maybe not love, but he sit behind him for a year, develop a little bit. Kirk Cousins is probably a great person to have learning from because he's been around. He knows the NFL. He's had some level of success in the NFL. I mean, that's a great thing for a young guy to kind of be underneath. And then maybe you reevaluate after next season and go from there. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that mindset. They just maybe are overpaying for it. But I mean, there are way worse scenarios. You can be way worse off. There are other teams in this division that are way worse off because they don't make those kinds of decisions, unfortunately, and all of a sudden find themselves in the absolute bottom seller of the NFL for way, way too long. So I will say I do kind of think the Vikings will get a little bit of a boost. Not too much because, again, they're no better than a 10-win team, but I do think they'll get a little bit of a boost with a fresh face at head coach and a fresh GM and just kind of a fresh mindset in the organization. Um, just because again, this is still a good team. They should be more successful than not. It's just, they're also limited by the guy that they can rely on at quarterback. I'm probably not as high on this roster as you are. I, I definitely echo everything you said about the skill positions. I, Dalvin Cook is excellent. I think he's one of the most underrated players, offensive players in the league. Justin Jefferson could end up being the best wide receiver in the entire NFL when it's all said and done this year. Adam Thielen is obviously you know on the back end, but he still has a lot left in the tank and is a very high-end wide receiver too for a team. Irv Smith Jr., unfortunately, has had a lot of injuries in his career, but is a really good athlete. They do not have a really good offensive line. It has been holding them back. So, and they didn't do a whole lot to address it this offseason. So it'll be interesting to see in a situation where you have a quarterback like a Kirk Cousins who is not going to do the Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Russell Wilson thing where he can make a good a bad offensive line look good by evading rushers. If he's getting rushed, there's a clean blitzer, the play is over. There's just nothing else you can do. Um I, when we talked about at the outset the Packers running this division 
and teams basically having to choose how they were going to set up their future, the Vikings are very much that team that was, let's put band-aids over our holes and let's take another run. So why would they do that? One, you mentioned it, Luca, it's the NFC. When you look at the NFC, there really are only like three or four teams that you would consider to be good teams. Everybody else is kind of in a mixed bag. And there's no reason to me why the Vikings shouldn't be thinking they can get to the playoffs. And once you get to the playoffs, they can go toe-to-toe with any of these teams in a one-game elimination. When you look at the NFC, to me, it's Green Bay because of Aaron Rodgers. It's Tampa Bay. It's the Rams. And then what are the Niners? Like the, They have Trey Lance. Is that going to work out for them? I don't know. And then after that, you have a mixed bag of teams that all like one day they look good, one day they look bad. Who knows? And that's where we're talking about the Cowboys, the Cardinals, um, these Vikings, uh, maybe the Saints, if Jameis Winston can get it going. The other thing is, if they were going to try to compete, there was no real move that you mentioned that would that would be better than Kirk Cousins, like you said, because what were the quarterbacks that got moved? They could have gotten Matt Ryan. I don't necessarily think that would be an upgrade over Kirk Cousins at this stage of Matt Ryan's career. Um, trade for Baker Mayfield. That doesn't do much for me. I think I'd rather stick with Kirk Cousins at this juncture. Um, Carson Wentz, no thank you. Deshaun Watson, not touching that with a 10-foot pole. So it makes sense to me that if they were going to try to keep it together with this roster and make another run, that they do it with Kirk Cousins. I just question if this roster is good enough to make anything meaningful happen. I think this is probably a situation where a a new coach comes in, and it is worth mentioning, The Rams winning the Super Bowl really delayed Kevin O'Connell getting in there. So he didn't get into Minnesota until mid to late February. And that does impact things. It gives you way less of a runway to evaluate your players and really dive into the film and really focus. He's focusing on drawing up plays for an NFC championship game in a Super Bowl. He's not sitting there trying to figure out what he's going to do with Kirk Cousins for the Vikings the next year. So I think it makes sense that they just say, hey, let's take a breather. Let's let's get Kirk Cousins around us for a year, see what happens. If things fall together and Daniil Hunter stays healthy and Patrick Peterson finds the fountain of youth and Andrew Booth Jr. and Lewis Seen hit the ground running and end up being two of the better rookies from this class, why can't we win 11 and 12 games, get into the playoffs and maybe become that team that gets hot and makes a run? I think that's within their range of outcomes. It's probably their their absolute ceiling. I could also see a scenario where they win four or five games and it all kind of falls apart. The good news for them is they're in year one of a new coach and a new GM. And no matter what happens, I wouldn't expect anybody to be on the hot seat. So we will talk more about the Vikings later when we stack up the entire division. Let's move on, Luca, (laughs) to a team that on a previous podcast, Luca predicted would not win a single game this season. Oh, let me wrap up the Vikings point real quick just to hit that home. The Vikings come to Orchard Park week 10, two weeks after the Green Bay Packers visit. And that is a one o'clock Sunday afternoon game. One of the rare Sunday one o'clock games in uh, Buffalo this year. Um, Let's talk about the Chicago Bears. (sighs) What can you say about this team? Lucas, so here's the thing. I have a bunch of research done on this team and I want to get into it. Okay. And I want to talk about their, their general manager change. I want to talk about their head coaching change. I want to talk about what they're doing to build around Justin Fields. But I also feel like I could probably save all of us a lot of time and say the Bears had the 24th overall offense last year. 
They were a 6-11 and football team. They got rid of Khalil Mack. They got rid of Allen Robinson, and they didn't have a first-round pick because they had spent it already to get Justin Fields. So there's no way they got better this offseason. And then I could just pass it to you, and you could say, dude, that's why I told you they're not going to win a game. Like I think we could just too long didn't read it without diving under the hood. But we're not going to do that here. Let's get into it. They are 6-11 and last year. They missed the playoffs. They had made the playoffs the year before, but that was a really funky. They won eight games, I believe, and then they played in the Nickelodeon game with Mitch Trubisky, and they kind of got in because somebody had to get the seventh seed in the NFC. 24th in offense last year, 30th in passing, 6th in total defense, but that number is going to go down. I can I can fear because Khalil Mack is gone. Uh, their last playoff win, though, 2010. It's a long time ago. They fired Matt Nagy. They fired Ryan Pace. Finally, they hired Matt Eberflus, the Indianapolis Colts defensive coordinator, and brought in Ryan Poles to be their offensive, or, I'm sorry, to be their uh, general manager. So to me, we talked about Allen Robinson. We talked about Khalil Mack. They also lost Danny Trevathan, Eddie Goldman. Um, they brought in some bodies at wide receiver to repl- to help replace uh, Allen Robinson. Nobody that I would say is notable. Byron Pringle, who's already got a legal issue. Equimamia St. Brown, who never really developed in Green Bay. They did try to make a splash and sign Ryan Bates to a contract, but the Bills quickly matched it and got Rick Bates back under contract there. And to me, this team is one that the whole situation doesn't make a lot of sense. And let me line it up for you before I kick it to you, Luca. They made an aggressive move last year to trade up and get Justin Fields, which I endorsed. I like Justin Fields coming out of the draft. I think if you identify a quarterback you like, get aggressive, get him. You're never going to compete with the Aaron Rodgers of this world with the Nick Foles and what Mitch Trubisky had become. Get aggressive, get your quarterback. Fully endorse it. Great. But then they jetsed it. They traded up aggressively to get their quarterback. And then the next offseason, they fire Matt Nagy and they fire Ryan Pace. I'm not saying those guys didn't deserve to get fired. In fact, I think their resumes would say they probably should have been fired a year before. But the reality of the situation is you let a general manager who's not there anymore spend that year's first round pick and a future first round pick on the quarterback of the future. Then you boot them both. And now you've brought in a new head coach and a new GM who didn't pick that quarterback. And so they either have to decide, is this my guy or are we going to take this huge investment our organization just made and go in a different direction? So Matt Eberflus and Ryan Poles come in and they take a look around and they're like, wow, our offense is really bad. And Allen Robinson doesn't want to come back. We probably should trade Khalil Mack because we can get some picks for him and our team's not good enough to justify not getting picks for him. And they took a look around. Offense is awful, 30th in total passing. Defense is going to be awful. We're getting rid of Khalil Mack. Way too many holes to fill. So it didn't make sense for them to be one of those teams that went out there and traded for a Devontae Adams or a Tyreek Hill, even though it would be nice to build around a Justin Fields. Why are you going to trade future picks for a veteran when your team's not ready to win now? The Bears didn't have a first-round pick, so they weren't going to be able to get a player like a a Chris Olave or a Jamison Williams, a player like that. They picked in the second round, and then when the second round comes around, there are some good receivers on the board, and the Bears take Kyler Gordon, a cornerback you and I are very high on, and they also took Jaquan Brisker in the second round. Another a safety that we both liked, but at this time it was like, what are you doing to help Justin Fields? Not an offensive lineman, not a, not a wide receiver, not somebody that can catch the ball. 
So now the Bears are left with a situation where Daryl Mooney is their best wide receiver and Cole Komet is their best tight end. And they do have David Montgomery, but that is not exactly a murderer's row of pass catchers. Um, they did take Velas Jones in the third round, who's a nice prospect, but he's a 25-year-old rookie, which is just kind of laughable. I don't know what they were supposed to do. There certainly wasn't enough ammunition for them in the draft, particularly without a first-round pick to fill all of their holes. Uh, but they did decide to beef up their defense instead of their offense. I have some thoughts on that, but before I get into that, I've laid out a lot on the Bears right now. You clearly are not a fan of what they're doing. You did say they were going to go 0-17. That may have been in jest. Maybe you meant it, but initial thoughts on the 2022 Chicago Bears. I absolutely mean every word when I say this team will not win a game. I mean, in all reality, let me just preface this. It is so hard to not win a single game in the NFL. There's a reason it's only been done twice. And now it's been, honestly, fairly recent. So it can be done. But this team is set up to not win a single game. And part of me almost feels like it's partially by design. Because everything that these, uh, these two have done, and I'm talking about Eberflus and Poles. I don't want to say their first names because, I mean, I could say Matt and Ryan, but we could be talking about Nagy and Pace. Um, <laughs> no kidding. Everything they've done has pointed to me saying they are totally punting this season. They are absolutely going, we don't care. We're just trying to feel the team. They have interesting guys like maybe Equinamia St. Brown can find his Notre Dame skill and turn it back up a little bit. Not likely. Your, your third receiver, Byron Pringle, maybe he can be a little bit of something that he has shown in Kansas City in his limited role there. Not very likely in my opinion as well. And then I get into Justin Fields. Justin Fields, everyone has to remember, as you pointed out, is not this group's guy. He is not. And I will also say, he is not my guy. I don't personally have any of the love that others had for Justin Fields going into the last year's draft. I don't like prospects like Justin Fields where limited um, or you know not much tape to go off of had some good success though on a roster like Ohio State and then you kind of are just hoping you have the right system in place to develop him. I don't think Matt Nagy was the right system to develop him and you definitely are not trying to do it when you bring in Eberflus as your head coach in my humble opinion. I mean, when they go out and then the back the two a nice indicator to show you what this team does not actually I don't think they value Justin Fields much at all. The two people that they signed to back him up are Trevor Simeon and good old Nathan Peterman, who still somehow finds his way onto rosters. I Amazing. don't understand that. But those are your two backups. I feel like a good indicator of bad teams when they want a quarterback to work out or they want an offense to work. A good indicator is they get a backup that can kind of do what their starter can do well. I feel like that's kind of a thing. It's hard to do at times when your quarterbacks are Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson. I mean, those are one of ones. You're not going to find anyone that can even remotely come close to their skill sets. But a Justin Fields, you can probably get a guy like Tyrod Taylor or something like that where their arm is not the greatest, but it's good. 
and they can move around a lot and disguise what is a bad offensive line. As you pointed out as well with the Vikings, not that they have a quarterback like that, but Justin Fields does have the you know ability to disguise poor offensive line play because he does have the ability to move around in the pocket, outside the pocket, do whatever he needs to do from the hips down to make things possibly happen. And I say possibly because I don't think he actually knows what he's doing to make things happen. Um, but instead they went out and got Trevor Simeon and Nathan Peterman. And I mean, their track record shows, they just, I don't even know how those guys are in the NFL anymore. They're, they're probably great guys and I'm not trying to disrespect them. It's just, um, Trevor Simeon for new Orleans in his limited role last year was just so unfortunate. Like, I mean, he did make Ian or Ian book made him look good one game, but that's nothing here or there. But overall, to get off of Justin Fields and to wrap him up, I don't think he's anything special. So when you your best weapon is Darnell Mooney by a long shot, it's probably not going to show. You have a bad offensive line. David Montgomery is just an overpriced and overhyped Devin Singletary. Anyone that even thinks otherwise, I think you're crazy. I mean, honestly, I there is nothing phenomenal about David Montgomery, other than the fact that he gets 30 carries a game because no one knows what else to do on that offense. And then this defense goes and trades Khalil Mack, uh, cut Danny Trevathan, like you said. They didn't re sign Akeem Hicks and let him go to Tampa. That's another big one. I mean, it's just like, and what do they do to restock? They brought in Robert Quinn. Um, I'm trying to think here. They obviously, as we pointed out, you know, when it comes to defensive backs, they drafted Kyler Gordon and Brisker because. Other than Eddie Jackson, I think they signed Tavon Young as well from Baltimore. That might have been last year. No, that was this year. It was a one-year prove-it deal. Okay. okay. I do like kind of Tavon Young. I think he's a good You know, he's a good guy. I think he could maybe do something for them. But, I mean, they're rough on defense. Roquan Smith and nothing else. There is nothing of note on that defense at all. So, uh, this is a punt year. And if this team goes 0-17 or 1-16... Literally, I will be smoking a cigar in the middle of winter at that point, enjoying myself because it, the writing is on the wall, in my opinion. I don't think any Bears, I think Bears fans are living in delusion if they think they're winning any more than four games. I think that is, if you think you're winning four or more games, you're crazy. You're absolutely insane. This is a worse roster than the Detroit Lions last season, going into last year. I genuinely believe that. And honestly, that roster was atrocious. And the Texans was pretty bad, too. This roster is just brutal, 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 brutal. I don't see them ever being within, you know, a 45-55 underdog of any team in the NFL, even the Lions. I do think the Lions at least did things to improve their roster. This team went so far back. I mean, if... I want them to just come out and admit that they're punting this year. I just want them to come out and admit that they're like, we do not care about this season at all. Justin Fields will not be on this team, hopefully, come 2023. They're probably going to try to trade him in this offseason. I could easily see that happening. There's no reason to do what they're doing right now. If they truly, if they really mean, hey, we believe in Justin Fields and we want to try to see if he's a franchise quarterback, like get him a weapon, get him something, get anything anything on offense show that you're trying to do something for this guy because as you pointed out you drafted a 25 year old rookie ride receiver and did nothing else i think they drafted a tackle in the fifth round too like congratulations you guys did a phenomenal job 
great, great on you. You know what? Phenomenal. Great, great job, guys. You know, pack it up. You're going to easily get your three wins. And, you know, let's see how 2023 goes. Ridiculous. This is how organizations stay bad. This is how organizations show they have no idea what the hell they're doing and just ruin themselves for years and years and years. And I am sorry for any Chicago Bears fan because that is a joke to see what you're about to see this upcoming season. Yeah, they've been on a merry-go-round of misery um, for a long time. Uh, I mentioned their last playoff win was 2010. They had that one really good year, Khalil Mack's first year, where they ended up losing because um, Cody Parkey missed the field goal at the end against the Eagles. But they're just they're one of these teams right now that they almost can't get out of their own way. And I hesitate to even blame this on Eberflus and Poles. They inherited a disaster. And there was almost no path they could have taken taking over a team that had no first round pick, had as many holes as they had, and just bereft of talent. There was really nothing they could do that was going to be the right answer. But to your point, here you have a guy like Justin Fields, and I know you're not the biggest Justin Fields fan. But just from an athletic skill set, he has that new age quarterback skill set where he could move. He's big. He's physical. He has a big arm. He is raw. But and, and everything you said about him succeeding at Ohio State, you almost have to watch him through a different lens because Ohio State, when they're on offense, they have the 11 best players on the field on their side of the ball. So it's always kind of hard to evaluate and their offensive line is pushing the defense five yards off the ball every play. Um, but the best thing they had going for them was hoping Justin Fields could become really good because that would answer the biggest question they have. Second point, you mentioned the 2023 draft and how loaded it is. Don't you want to have a definitive answer on Justin Fields heading into the 2023 draft? I think they're setting themselves up for a situation where they have a really bad year, but they're also like, we didn't put enough around Justin Fields. We still believe in Justin Fields. And it's just, it's going to create a lot of confusion. I loved Kyler Gordon. You loved Kyler Gordon. We both liked Brisker. I think there is some merit to the fact that Eberflus is his defensive coach. He wants to build up his defense. Maybe, maybe he's thinking two years from now when he's fired, his head coaching resume will at least show that he had a decent defense in Chicago. Who knows? Um, but they did draft uh, four offensive linemen on day three, I guess, hoping to strike gold with one of them. Who knows? But they did almost nothing to replace Allen Robinson, nothing to replace Khalil Mack. They didn't even draft the defensive lineman, I don't believe, in the entire draft. Definitely, definitely not a defensive tackle. This team has so many issues, and I just I don't understand the plan. Um, yes, we're mixing regimes here. The plan was laid out by Nagy and Pace, and then Eberflus and Poles took over. But it looks to me like a chaotic plan of, we're going to let one person draft. It almost reminds me of when the Bills let Buddy Nix draft EJ Manuel on his way out the door. What are you doing? If you're leaving, leave. Now, granted, look, Nagy and Pace didn't leave. But then you got to question ownership. Hey, if if Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace are on the hot seat, why are you letting them spend future picks to pick a quarterback they've identified? Why are you letting them do that? Just let them have a normal non-quarterback draft. And then if they can't figure it out, then the next regime comes in and picks their quarterback. That this is a mess from top down. This organization is has been spinning its wheels for a long time. I hate to pile on because Bears fans are probably some really good fans out there and they've been super frustrated. But I can tell you right now, when we analyze this division and the Bears host the Bills on 
December 24th, Christmas Eve on Saturday. That is a 1 p.m. game on CBS. Week number 16. That'll be the Bills' 15th game. Um, there is There would have to be a lot going wrong for the Bills for me to even consider them losing that game. So I don't want to keep piling on the Bears. I think we've done a good job of painting what the issues were. There was no right answer to make this team competitive for this year, but the lack of urgency in building around Justin Fields and letting people that were on the hot seat clearly make an aggressive trade with future assets and identify a quarterback they like is just questionable all along. And I fear Bears fans, if you're listening, that this is a decision that they're going to be making up for for a long time. I am not optimistic the direction they're going. I didn't like what they did in the draft, despite coming away with several players I like. I thought they should have done. Look, if you're going to be bad, be bad but at least put weapons around the kid. Let's see what he can do. And then, hey, if Justin Fields is awful, then the next quarterback that comes in has Sky Moore to throw to instead of Byron Pringle, who might even be in jail by then, or Equimamius St. Brown. Like It's it's a disaster, and I hope they figure it out because I've always kind of liked the Bears. I've had a soft spot for them. They're a Midwest team. I'm from the Midwest, but nothing is going right right there. And uh, I don't think they're really a threat in this division to uh, challenge the Packers or even the Vikings for that matter. All right, Luca, there's one team left, the Detroit Lions. In 2021, they went 3-13-1. Trying to remember who they tied. That was the Steelers. Yeah, like, Steelers game. Awful, P- awful game in Pittsburgh. 13-13, <laughs> I believe. It was raining. It was horrible. Oh, Steelers. The Lions were 22nd in total offense, 18th in passing, 19th in rushing. And like the Bears, they were abysmal on defense, 29th in total defense. This offseason, they haven't done anything splashy as far as free agency goes. They did make a couple of notable wide receiver additions with DJ Chark and Josh Reynolds. And, you know, those aren't household names by any means. But in a little bit of a way, they kind of remind me of what the bills did in 2019 by bringing in John Brown and Cole Beasley. DJ Chark's a guy that has shown some real downfield ability, but just hasn't been able to stay healthy. Maybe that's similar to John Brown. And then Josh Reynolds is a guy that's been solid when his name is called in the slot, but really has never just been had an opportunity to get a whole lot of volume. Um, I'm not saying he's going to be Cole Beasley by any means, but you know, a team like the Lions, they have to fill out a depth chart. Like they they have started from the bottom, and I think they're actually doing a very solid job. Um, we talked about on our draft recap show, they were given a gift, in our opinion, of Aiden Hutchinson falling to number two. That was a slam dunk pick for them. And then they traded up with their division rivals, the Minnesota Vikings, all the way up to number 12, did not give up that much based on the Jimmy Johnson trade chart and got our favorite wide receiver in the draft, Jamison Williams, this is the stat where I think we're going to actually say some positive things about the Lions, but Luke, I'm going to kick it over to you um, because I do think they've gotten better this offseason. I don't know what that's really going to amount to as far as wins and losses goes. I think some of the wins are going to have to be internal and really until they can find the answer at quarterback beyond Jared Goff, and that is not currently on their roster. I can tell you that with full confidence. Um, this team is capped by what they're going to do. Jared Goff is nothing more than a placeholder at this point. He was essentially a mandatory throw-in in the Stafford trade that allowed them to get another first-round pick to take that salary off of the Rams' hands. Um, but there are some fun pieces on this team. Um, Armour St. Brown, they had they drafted Jamison Williams. DeAndre Swift is a really fun young running back that reminds me qu- quite a bit of Alvin Kamara. Um, Aiden Hutchinson, we mentioned. 
Um, TJ Hawkinson has had moments where he looks like he might be the next bright, shining tight end in the league, and then he can't stay healthy. Um, so there, there's some things there to like. Panay Sewell is a very good young tackle in this league. I think they're building it the right way, and I am a big, 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 big fan of Dan Campbell and Brad Holmes, their GM. I think they're both doing it the right way. I think they have the right approach for a team that they know is not going to be able to attract the high-end free agents. They're going to try to draft the right kind of people in the draft, and I think they did that this year. Luca, before I kick it to you, though, we have to mention this stat because it is wild. The Lions have won. They haven't made the playoffs since 2016. And they have one playoff game in the last 65 years. Let me repeat that. The Lions have won one playoff game in the last 65 years. If you ever think you have it bad as a sports fan, just remind yourself there is a team out there that's won one playoff game in 65 years. All that being said, Luca, I am much more optimistic about where this team is going and the plan they have in place than the last team we talked about. 1,000%. I went, you know, coming away from the Bears, now talking about the Lions, polar opposites. I think, I mean, it's it's one example of a bad organization. I mean, you're a bad organization if you have one playoff game in 65 years. But it's a, it's an example of a bad organization really trying to find the right formula and it's tough when you're just as awful as you are when it comes to the lions to do so and i think they they definitely did the right thing in getting dan campbell because he's not an x's and o's coach he's not someone that's going to out you know analyze you and go for it on fourth down like crazy when it may cost you a playoff spot you know not taking a shot at anyone there um hmm. but he's he's going to care. He He's going to put everything he can into this. He's going to be a player's coach. He's going to be there for his guys. He's going to defend them to his death. And the lions kind of needed someone like that. They needed someone that like the locker room is not full of great players. It just isn't last year I'm talking about. And yet he went out and he talked about like, he would want to be coaching nowhere else for no one else and gave everything to them because he recognized that they were giving everything back. And if they weren't, he's the kind of guy that would put someone there regardless of skill that wants to be playing. And I think that's a big thing for Detroit. I think that's a big thing for Lions fans, everything around about it. And now you go into a year this year where, as you taught, you brought up Aiden Hutchinson, great pick fell into your lap at two. He's going to be a great hometown guy as well. And it, Great, great, great pick for the organization for many different reasons. And then they kind of get they get a little something extra there with Jameson Williams just kind of I mean, it's not falling into your lap when you trade up for it, but I mean, for the what they had to give up to get Jameson Williams. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much. I will do that all day of the week. You know, yep, yep, yep. Let's do it. Thank you. Uh Vikings, I believe it was. Um, so Everything about what they've been doing going into this year is spot on. But as you brought up, they will always be held back by Jared Goff. And for right now, still, that's okay. I think 2023 for this team is the perfect time for, as I brought up, all these nice quarterback prospects to come to the forefront and they get to essentially choose whichever one they want or figure out whichever one they want. Because I don't think. 
this team will find success or an improvement this season based on wins, losses, or not that much. I do think they will have more wins than three. I will put that out there. But I think this team and organization has improved more than what the final win count will be. I think this is going to be a team this year that the city of Detroit and Detroit Lions fans everywhere will be at least enjoying to watch. They will enjoy watching this team every Sunday or majority of the Sundays. Maybe not the day or Thursday that uh, this wonderful Bills team will come to town, but that's okay. They don't expect that team to actually be in that game, and it's just not going to work out that way. That's fine. They're not looking at wins, losses this year. They just want a team they can root for. It's kind of the Detroit Lions right now kind of remind me uh, how Sabres fans felt going into kind of, I mean, it realistically this season um, where you hit such a low that you now just want to have a team you can enjoy watching on a regular basis. And luckily for Sabres fans, we finally found that this year and it kind of is giving us a weird feeling in our, you know, deep in our cores going into next year where it's like, holy shit, am I actually looking forward to an NHL season for the first time in a long time? Probably a decade. Yes. I think Lions fans, they're not quite there with this team. It's not like the NHL where it's kind of more fluid and building and you might be able to do it a little bit quicker. But I think Detroit fans are actually looking forward to this team. And that is a result of them doing things the right way. And I think, you know, Jameson, Amon Ross St. Brown, I'm, I will stand on a soapbox and tell everyone I was wrong. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown actually is proving me wrong. Now, unless he regresses and it, at last year was a fluke, which... Part of me wants my take to be right, so fingers crossed. But oh, let the Lions have something good. <laughs> Sixty-five years, Luca. Yeah, no, I'm okay with Amon Ra St. Brown working out. He's he was fun to watch, and he, even though he's an SC wide receiver, I will let them have that. I love DJ Chark. I think signing him was great on them. Mm-hmm. Quintez Cephas was always a guy that popped up. By the way, last year. And it's just, he's a guy I root for just because of that, like he was always popping up. I wanted to use him in daily all the time. He was kind of that guy. I always wanted to plug in there just because if you got the two touchdowns out of him or whatever, it was fantastic. He was kind of a little unknown fun guy to watch. I mean, their defense definitely still needs some work. I don't think Jeff Okuda is really doing what they expected, unfortunately, but I don't think he's a bum either. Um, you know, Aiden Hutchinson, obviously coming in. I mean, you have a veteran presence at defensive tackle, with Michael Brockers, that's a great guy to have in that locker room when you continue to build the defense. I think that's a great body to have in there to kind of help Dan Campbell out. But overall, I think this organization is doing the right things. I mean, I, they are the polar opposite of the their division foe, the Bears. They are kind of building the right way, ignoring the noise, not trying to find the get rich quick kind of solution. Mm-hmm. They're just letting it letting the process build its way through and eventually hopefully it works i think the pieces are there where that should be the case i think they have the right bodies in place when it comes to the roster as well as the coaching staff and i think there are brighter days ahead for this organization unfortunately when it comes to this upcoming season 2022 i don't think that success will result in wins losses or more so than you know or many more than three but that's okay. I don't think Lions fans are really expecting that anyways. I think they might just be able to get a product on the field that they can be more proud of come this year. Yeah, I wouldn't rule out them winning five, six, seven games. I mean, the NFC we talked about is not very 
very good at all. They're going to have two games against the Bears who we just talked about that I think we'd both expect them to be in those games, maybe even favored in those games. Um, I don't think they need to be scared of the Vikings by any means. Um, you know, they are going to play the Jets. So, I mean, there, there's some meat on the bone to be had. And unlike a lot of teams that have bad records, I would not expect a Dan Campbell team come November, December to be mailing it in and just looking for the finish line. I would expect them to play hard till the end. And I think that maybe they'll catch some teams sleeping late in the year and do that. What I look at this Lions team as, you mentioned it, they are not looking for the quick fix. If you look at it like it's a beat up old car that has a bad paint job, a bad engine and all this stuff, the easiest thing to do is just slap a new paint job on it, make it look better than it really is. And you can impress your friends with how clean your car looks on the outside, even though on the inside it's a POS. What the Lions have done is they're taking the slow building approach. They traded away Matt Stafford. That was painful for a lot of Lions fans, but it was a necessary evil to restock the cupboard of picks and really start building this thing into a a team that they want to have on the field for the next 10 years instead of having Stafford for the next three or four. And Aiden Hutchinson is a perfect pick for them because I don't know if he's ever going to be the best defensive, the best defensive lineman in the league. I'd almost bet against it. I don't think he has that elite top end tippy top skill set. Maybe I'm wrong, but he has almost no bust potential. He's good against, he's very good against the run. He's good enough against the pass. And he's a guy that I think you can pencil in for the next 10 years and feel confident he's going to be there. Jamison Williams was our favorite wide receiver in the draft. And you and I both as Jamison Williams fans were saying all along, We want him to go to a team that doesn't feel pressure to play him right away. Let him get healthy, get right, and then he can have the career we expect him to have. And I think that is a great opportunity in Detroit because they don't need to force him on the field right away. What's the point? Are you really going to risk your first-round receiver for the opportunity to win six games instead of five? It's not worth it. I think they're too smart to do that. Um, They've already said they don't anticipate he's going to be ready for training camp. So I think they're going to be a fun team. And unlike the Bears, they have a plan that I can see. Now, look, the Bears clearly have a plan. These are professionals putting together a football team. They're way smarter about football than I will ever be. I just can't figure out what their plan is. For the Lions, this makes sense to me. They're they're cleaning up the engine. The paint job still looks bad. They have to figure out what they're doing at quarterback, but they still have two first-round picks next year from the Stafford deal where they have their own and then the Rams. And I would anticipate that even if they win four or five games, their pick is high enough that they can get one of these decent quarterbacks coming up in the draft. And I will say, Luca, that I do not expect Thanksgiving to be just an absolute cakewalk. I think this is a Lions team that's going to come out and play hard. I think it could be kind of scary maybe for a quarter or two before the Bills finally pull away, but we'll have plenty of time to talk about that game in the future. But now we've had a chance to break down this division, Luca. And just to recap one more time, they kick off their NFC North slate in week number eight after the bye week with the Green Bay Packers. Two weeks later, the Minnesota Vikings come to town to take on the Bills at one o'clock on Sunday. Two weeks after that, the Bills are in Detroit on Thanksgiving in week 12. And then one, two, three, four weeks after that, in week 16, the Bills travel to Chicago on Christmas Eve. So a big holiday feel with this NFC North. We've broken down these teams. Um, I think we both agree the Packers are the favorite. Uh, Next, probably the Vikings by default. And then I think we both also would say that the Lions right now are a step ahead of the Bears just by organizational structure. Looking at it from a Bills perspective, Luca, four games against the Lions, or four games against the NFC North, excuse me. Let's talk now about what would be an acceptable record for the Bills and what would be a disappointing record for the Bills because 
I don't want to be that Bill's homer that comes on here and says they better go undefeated or I'm going to be upset. But the way these games stack up, I feel like going undefeated should be the expectation and the absolute floor should be three and one. Let me explain why. All due respect to everything we said about the Lions, neither the Lions nor the nor the Bears should beat the Bills unless it's a catastrophe like Jacksonville last year where just nothing goes right. These two games should be wins for the Bills. The other two games are in Buffalo. The Vikings we talked about, they're a pretty average team. They're coming to Buffalo. You have to beat average teams in your building when you're a good, if not great team. So that just leaves the Packers game. What is the Packers game? The Bills are coming off of a bye, hosting the Packers on Sunday night football. And we already talked about the Packers are good. They don't have Devontae Adams. They don't have any game-breaking superstars outside of Aaron Rodgers on offense. To me, the Bills are going to be a three or four point favorite in that game, maybe even five, depending on how the season starts. I really do think four and oh should be the goal and three and one has to be the absolute floor when looking at when these games are, because looking at that bears game, December 24th, playing a team that we project to be one of the worst teams in football. You want to talk about, I I don't want to get overconfident, but a team of professionals in Chicago their season's going to be over. They're going to be frustrated because they're scoring 10 points a game and it's Christmas Eve and they're home. So they would have just left their families that morning to go play a football game that they're probably two touchdown underdogs in on Christmas Eve. I just think that sets up for the Bills to go out there and just smash them unless the Bills are just overlooking them. No chance the Bills are going to lose that game. So to me, three and one is the absolute absolute floor. And I think four and O should be the expectation. Where do you fall? I think I'm a little under, uh, your expectation. I think I expect three and one at worst. So it's almost like I'm agreeing with your floor, but I do. I will never count out Aaron Rodgers. I don't give a shit. After that Cardinals Thursday night, I mean, look, they were A.J. Green not turning around away from winning the game, but I watched Aaron Rodgers without any of his weapons, essentially, just run an offense, 16 play drives. You know, it's just A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones controlling the game, and then every once in a while, Aaron Aaron just put a ball in the perfect spot with bum receivers or Robert Tunyon and just kept drives alive, kept going down the field, controlling the game, keeping the ball out of the dynamic offense's hands up until the very, very end where they got lucky, essentially. Now, Kyler did get hurt a little bit there right beforehand because he ran for whatever unknown reason. Um, A lot of questions going on there. But anyways, I will never count out Aaron Rodgers. I will never, never do it. I will never, ever do it. The Bills will probably be like, you said four or five point favorites. I don't think they will be anything more than three, three and a half point favorites. I, I look at that as like kind of like a 52, 48 game. I think the Bills are favorites. Uh, I think it's kind of like they're favorites because they're at home. I think that will be the final say. I would say I expect them to go four and oh. I think they do win that game. I will just never bet against Aaron Rodgers. That game, I will not be touching with any of my money. Not a single dime. I do not care. I just could not in my 
mind do it. It's just, he's a two-time back-to-back MVP of the past two seasons. He is the pedigree of what an elite quarterback has been for the past 10 seasons or so. I mean, it's unbelievable when you honestly think that he's only won one Super Bowl. It's pretty crazy, actually. Um, So again, I just won't bet against him. But yes, your point about the Vikings, spot on. They are an average to an above average team. You have them in your house. If you are a Super Bowl favorite, if you are one of the teams of that season, you do not lose that game. I do not care. It can be close. It could be a one score game going into the final drive, you know, four minutes left. And then Kirk D cousins throws a dumb ball and you pick it off and you kind of either wind down the clock or kick a field goal to make it a 10 point game and betters that bet, you know, the Vikings to cover or whatever, whoever gives a shit, something happens that ruins people's days. Um, you win that game. And then the bears, I, <laughs> I, there is part of me that looks at that game and I'm with you. I think it's an absolute ass beating. There's part of me that's looking at that game and then hoping Nathan Peterman's still on the roster and he has to come in and play that game and we just beat the absolute shit out of him. Oh, there would be just such a great joy in that. And then the Lions game, I thought, I actually think it's going to be not great. I think the at that point in the season, I think it like definitely with the Bears game, of course, but even by Thanksgiving, I think the Bills will be a team that are going to be a well-oiled machine. They're going to be really trying to work out the little kinks here and there, mm-hmm. but they're going to be doing great. They're going to be rolling. They're going to be really kind of... You don't have an eye on the playoffs. You know, you never look ahead of the week you have to play, but you have it in the back of your head. You're looking at playoffs. You want to make sure you, you know, you have those little things worked out. And beyond that, you're just rolling. So I actually think that it might be similar to like the 2020 uh, Thanksgiving game with the Lions where the Bucks came into town. And at that point in the season for the Bucks, they were actually kind of trying to turn things back around. They just recently came off a bye, of which they, I think they were seven and five at that point. So naturally, Tom Brady, first year in Tampa, they needed it. It was like, hey, man, basically they couldn't lose another game or else they were missing the playoffs. Well, Tom Brady and the Buccaneers, as we all know now, really got things rolling and they use that game as a thing to work out all the little things, dot the T's or cross the T's and dots the I's and just absolutely beat the shit out of the lions. That game was over by like the first drive of the third quarter. And I think this game could be similar to that. Um, for any bills fan going to Detroit, I'm sure you will love if that happens points, points, baby. But, um, yeah, I I could see it being a dogfight. I could see a Dan Campbell led team just, you know, really hanging in there, putting in a good fight. I'm not going to say that I'm overly confident in that prediction. I just have a feeling that that's what that's that's what that game is going to be when it comes to it. The Bears game, I am 1 billion percent with you. I mean, that game will be over by halftime. That game will be an absolute ass beating and I will enjoy every second of it on Christmas Eve, wherever I may find myself. And, um, but yeah, I, I expect four and oh, I really do. I will say though, three and one is not the end of the world. The, the, the key to that is, I mean, these are not even conference games. They're not going to hurt our conference record, things like that. A loss definitely hurts. That's where one seed issues start creeping in there. But beyond, I mean, Losing to the Packers because Aaron Rodgers becomes Godgers. Look, that happens to everyone. 
that is why Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers. It's you can't if we lose to the Green Bay Packers, say 35-32, I mean, who in their right mind is going to be upset? It's just going to be like, no, you got outdueled by Aaron Rodgers. Guess what? Lots of teams have had that happen to them in the past. It's it's okay. I, I do think, you know, like WGR the next day and stuff, people will be freaking out and be like, we are not the elite team that we thought we were or anything like that if that happened. And I would just like laugh. I would just be every like, time the Bills lose. It's so maddening. Oh, it's brutal. But I, I, I would just literally tell all of them and be like, if, if that's how they lost, I'd be like, you lost to Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers, I mean, by some is a top seven quarterback of all time. I mean, again, it all comes down to what do you make most important championships, all that kind of fun jazz. But when it comes to skill and just as a quarterback, he is definitely deserving to be up in that echelon and for good reason. And he has shown it even in his later years here, the past couple seasons, it might even be some of his best seasons ever. And look, I am okay if we lose to the Packers. I don't want it to happen. I expect us to win. We are at home, prime time. Bills Mafia is going to be bumping. I mean, they will be feeling well lubricated after an entire day of tailgating, an entire weekend of tailgating. I am absolutely positive of this. But if they so happen to lose that game, not the end of the world. So I'm not as, yes, it, it has to be 4-0 as it seems like you are. But I expect that I will be okay with three and one as long as that loss is the Packers. Now, if that one loss is to the Vikings or God forbid the Lions, I'm not even going to entertain the idea of the Bears, of course. But if it's to the Lions or the Vikings, it's a little bit of a different conversation. It's definitely a disappointing three and one. But I mean, it's kind of also like, hey, if you beat the Packers and lose somewhere else, I mean, it still sucks, mm -hmm. but like, okay, whatever. I mean, it was kind of like um, last year. I know you and I had had this conversation. We expected to lose at Kansas City, but then beat the Titans the following week. And then all of a sudden we did the opposite. Yeah. And you were like, you were oddly disappointed, but at the same time, you were exactly where you expected to be. Mm -hmm. And it was just a weird feeling. I think that's how I would feel. I mean, at least of the Vikings. Now, if we lose to the Lions on Thanksgiving, hey, man, fuck that sucked <laughs> but again if it's your only loss out of these four games and these four teams it, it's kind of like looking back i would try to just be like okay i mean look we beat the packers we beat the vikings we just somehow overlooked the lions i don't know i can't i don't have the schedule in front of me so i don't know if there would be a scenario where that happens i feel like i remember something like that like don't we have a bigger opponent right before them I feel like well, it, 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 it we could. It really depends what happens with their quarterback legally. Oh, OK, OK. But yeah, the thing with Detroit is that. a week later, we play in New England on yeah, Thursday okay. night. Right. I so, remember I remember the it, it being interesting us playing in Detroit on a short week in between some situation. Right. Obviously, the team that comes before we will get into later, Um, you know, on a later date, I should say. But uh, yeah, overall, I don't, I don't want to keep rambling here, but overall, I'm not quite with you. I think 4-0 I expect as well, but 3-1 is okay. The loss obviously needs to come with an asterisk in there. But again, this is an NFC, so it's not even like it has conference impl implications or head-to-head -head implications when it comes to our ranking in the conference. So it, it's, it's all just about the record. And as you brought it up earlier, 
we are a team that it's get into the dance and then we need to make things happen. So when it comes to these four games, they're as luxurious as you can get when it comes to an NFL weekend. Just please do not make it anywhere worse than three and one. Just don't even entertain that idea for the love of Christ. Just- and that's that's the point, I think, is like you mentioned, you lose a game to Aaron Rodgers, you tip your cap. I mean, there's 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 many paths for the Packers to beat the Bills. The Packers have a very, very, very good defense. I think the Bills are, you know, that's a good defense secondarily to match up with the Bills offensive weapons. And Aaron Rodgers is a wizard back there, whether he has Devontae Adams or not. I don't think that would surprise anybody. I think the other three games would be soul-searching games. Like if if you lose at home to Minnesota or if you lose on Thanksgiving to the Lions or the Bears, that's going to be very painful when you know the the whole identity of this regular season, you know, barring any catastrophe of an injury, is we learned our lesson last year. Um, there were a lot of lessons to take out of that game against Kansas City, but one of the biggest lessons was that game needs to not be in Kansas City. That game needs to be in Buffalo. And there were some big missed opportunities in the regular season last year, whether it's closing out the Titans game, whether it's not letting Pittsburgh stay around to where they can block a punt and win, whether it's not showing up for Jacksonville. Um, You know, say what you want to about the missed calls against Tampa Bay. Luca, you had a bird's eye view view for that one from your end zone seats. Brutal. But what the Bills cannot do is they can't really – they can't drop a game unless the Vikings come out and they're just way better than we expect. And then, you know, they're one of the best teams in the NFC and the bills happen to lose a game like that. Then I guess you live with it, but the way it stacks up right now, um, outside of losing to the Packers, which would be disappointing in its own right, but you, you can kind of live with it. The other three losses would be, man, that's going to hurt. And you sure hope at the end of the year, when we're looking at the playoff seedings that we're not on the road in round two or round three, because we couldn't close out Kirk cousins at home in Buffalo. One point I want to bring up about Detroit. I mentioned I thought that game could be closer than we thought, and then you were talking about how you thought it would be a blowout. Real quickly, um, you mentioned that it was Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay played in Detroit on Christmas two years ago, just in case anybody's listening and they want to fact check you. It was a national TV game. It's the same exact thing. They actually played Houston on Thanksgiving that year, but it was like 41-3. to I just looked it up. You're right how the game went. And that does lead into my next point. I think this game being on Thanksgiving works against the Lions. I think the Lions are going to sneak up on some teams this year and they're going to beat some teams. They're going to close out some games. They're not going to have Justin Tucker hit 67 yard field goals at the buzzer all the time. And they're going to find ways to catch teams sleeping. It's just really hard to catch a team sleeping when the entire country is watching. It's hard to sneak up on anybody when it's, it's a standalone game on Thanksgiving and you're the Buffalo bills and you're on national TV and all your friends around the league are watching. You don't go out and lay an egg to the lions under those circumstances. Could it happen? I get it's an NFL game. This isn't like, you know, playing, you know, Alabama playing against East toenail state. That's not the case here. Like these, these are still the best football players in the world, but the, the ability for the lions to sneak up on somebody is a lot higher when it's hidden away on the bottom of a Sunday afternoon slate at one o'clock when there's 10 other games going on versus a standalone Thanksgiving game when Nance and Romo are calling the game and the whole world is watching. It just seems a lot less likely that the Bills would get caught sneaking up on. So three and one, I would take it. I think I'd be happy with that. But obviously four and oh, I think is the goal. Um, I want the Bills to win. This is going to be the most obvious thing I ever say on the podcast. 
I want the Bills to win as many games as possible. <laughs> Duh. But really, truly, when you look at the goal for this season, Luca, to me, it's got to be about the one seed. Everything has to point to getting the one seed, at least finish ahead of Kansas City. Tired of going to Arrowhead in the playoffs. I really feel like Arrowhead carried the Chiefs to victory last year, along with some mishaps on defense. Luca, any final thoughts on the NFC North as a whole as we are about to wrap up our first edition of Rivals Watch? Yeah, I mean, it's all about the one seed. Reiterate, can't reiterate enough. I will add to the Minnesota thing, and I wish I brought this up. The Minnesota game, this is like a worst case for it. It's like the Eagles game that I don't even have to remember what year it is. I know which one people are thinking of when I say that with the Jordan Howard situation, mm-hmm. the Colts game last year. You're it reading my seemed, mind. Yeah, it literally seems like if if it goes to worst case, that is exactly what happens. You have a healthy Delvin Cook and they just jam the ball down our throat like the same thing could happen all over again. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Delvin Cook is just, I mean, he's very, 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 very good. When he is healthy, it's kind of like, I mean, it's it's Derrick Henry kicking your ass. It's a different version of it, but it's Derrick Henry. It's Jonathan Taylor. It's that kicking your ass. Oh, he's at that table with those guys for sure. Oh, absolutely. And right. you know he's going to be amped for that game with his brother on the sideline. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's those brothers are going to be like, who can one up the other? I would, I would almost imagine. I, I've never had a brother, but I've had a sibling, and even with my sister, it was always about like, I mean, she was older than me too. So, uh, for instance, like education wise, I would come into classrooms, and my sister was a very good student. So I had my own unique way of hitting grades, but I always made sure, or I tried to make sure that those numbers were always higher than my sister's, so that teachers knew I came to play. Like it was that kind of situation, a little bit of a different dynamic, of course, but same thing. Siblings always want to one up each other. That is a thing. And it always will be. Hopefully ours one up theirs. Hopefully I will say I never root for injuries. I hope Delvin Cook is playing that game. Yeah, I I always want to play against the best. I'm that kind of person. So I hope he's playing. I know I've had discussions with people that they're like well hopefully Delvin Cook's already hurt by then it's like come on no. who roots for that that's no. ridiculous if you can't beat the Vikings without Delvin Cook hurt then you're not that good of a team anyway and <laughs> that you bring up a great point about injuries we are just flying blind right now as we record this in the summer months and we're talking about a game that's not going to take place until November 13th you talked about that Colts game last year well Tremaine Edmonds was out of that game Starla Tulele was out of that game and for whatever that's worth they're two best run stuffers, and that just opened the door for Jonathan Taylor to do whatever he wanted. So, you know, if you get into a situation where, say, Tremaine Edmonds, Daquan Jones, maybe Hyder Poyer out, and the Vikings have a really easy time just running it down the Bills' throats, and it's a day where the look, the offense for the Bills is fantastic. Josh Allen is fantastic. They are not going to have 17 fantastic games. That's just not how the NFL works. Every offense, the great offenses have days where they have stinkers. If the Bills have a game where they have a stinker against the Vikings and it happens to match up where the Vikings are running the ball down their throat, we could see a repeat of the Colts game. I'm trying to remember the context of that Colts game, Luca, because I remember going into that game, despite it being at home and despite the Bills being favored, having a really bad feeling about that game. And I know you did too. And I know we tend to laugh about the fact that I am overly negative during the week, but there was it may have just been the Edmonds and Starlo Tilele injury. Maybe the Bills were just sputtering there. But I remember feeling like that was going to be a really heavy lift that week. Do you remember why that game felt so scary at the time? 
I'm trying to. Re- it was, I feel like was it in the stretch where? I'm trying to remember here. Hold on, hold on. I want to say it was just a few weeks after the Jags game, was it not? That might almost, be it. So we went. I'm almost yes. positive. It was. Yeah, it was Jags, and then we crushed the Jets. But like, I mean, whatever. And then yeah, we had the Colts game, and injuries were still a question, and everything like that. Um. And then, I mean, we were playing on Thanksgiving right after that against the Saints in, you know, in New Orleans. So I I feel like going into that game and of course, Jonathan Taylor at that point was rolling. Mm -hmm. He was doing great. He was being the Jonathan Taylor that I know I expected him out of college and everything like that. I mean, he was just murdering it. We all know how Jonathan Taylor was last year. Um, So, yeah, I know we both you and I. We were definitely nervous about it because, yes, the Jags game happened and it put that it it just creeped that doubt in your head where you're like, well, shit, anything can happen. And all of a sudden you have a really good, you know, well-oiled machine with a battering ram and jet all at the same time at running back coming Mm -hmm. into town when our run defense already at that point had shown glimpses of problems. And then your run defenders, as you brought up, are out. It's like, oh boy, is this is this going to be a perfect storm? Well, short short story, yes, yes, it was. It was a very, very awful, grinding, bad storm. And um, yeah, hopefully that doesn't happen again. But again, it can happen. It has been proven to happen, all under the McDermott regime, might I add. So, you know. And as again, to wrap it all up, as you put it again, I am, we are assuming it's a healthy, healthy 53 versus a healthy 53. And we're talking about it. Like it's in a bubble long, long time from now, this game is going to be played. Who knows what happens? Hopefully it is healthy versus healthy. Hopefully it is 53 versus 53. Exactly what we see right now playing off against each other, because yes, I want to play against the best. I know you want to watch us play against the best. And we win against the best. So I think this has been a great episode. You know, one you? one question I want to add to these Rivals Watch videos that I think, or Rivals Watch podcasts that I think will be interesting to think about, because we always talk about if Case Keenum has to play, what does that look like? And we both agree, like if, if Josh Allen, oh my God, knock on whatever, has to miss the entire season, wrap it up, whatever, the Bills could probably make the playoffs with Case Keenum, but it, it's not going to amount to anything. Okay, let's let's do these at the end of these Rival Watch videos. If for whatever reason, Case Keenum, everything else for the Bills is how it is. Case <laughs> Keenum starts all four of these games against the NFC North. Where's your floor? Because I was just thinking about this in my head. And Luca, my floor is still three and one. Oh, God, no. No, no, no. My floor is two and two. No, no, no. That Case Keenum is enough to move the ticker. He, he's enough to move the ticker against the Vikings. I I would say, okay, so Case Keenum starts against the Vikings. Every, everybody else is healthy. Let's just assume that, okay, so in this in this weird scenario, the Bills are rolling. Josh Allen pulls a hammy in practice. It's like, hey, he's going to miss this week against the Vikings. Case Keenum goes in there. I think the Bills are favored. I really do. Oh, I mean, the Bills will still be favored. I think that would drop a line, let's say, from six and a half point favorites, seven point favorites to one or two. One or two. Yeah. Yeah. Like I could even see it being a field goal still. Like I I think based on, I mean, the other thing is they will account dome team going to non dome in November. That's probably not great, but the Vikings are also kind of weirdly built for not a dome anyway. So who cares? 
Um, yeah, you're right. Two and two. That's that's the floor. I, I'm yeah. overrating Case Keenum. If he has to start yeah. four games, you take two like, almost every time. Yeah, I, w- I was going to say, like, unless Case Keenum has like this random like flashback with Diggs and is like, oh my God, guys, this is our chance to have revenge on the Vikings for whatever unknown reason he'd want to have revenge on the team that he had easily his most success on. I don't like, I feel like Case Keenum looks at the Vikings in a weird, weird, weird way. Like Fitzpatrick looks at the bills. It's like, that's the one place I actually got to have success. And he had way better success at the Vikings in a very short amount of time Mm -hmm. compared to Fitzpatrick. Let's also add, I mean, he literally had them in the NFC championship game. People forget that there was an, there was a conference championship weekend where the quarterbacks were Blake Bortles, Tom Brady, Case Keenum, and Nick Foles. Never forget, ever. Anyone out there, never forget it. Your quarterback doesn't need to be Josh Allen. I'm just, I'm just kidding. That definitely helps your chances. But unless that happens, and Case Keenum wants to really show the Vikings what they're missing out on, and why, why did they go with you know Kirk D Cousins all these years? Um, yeah, no, it's not going to happen. I, I would say the Bills will be at best a field goal favorite, and honestly. Part of me would almost want to like sprinkle the Vikings covering in a parlay covering. All right. I'm not saying win covering because that is not a situation I want to be in as a bills fan. It's just like, yeah, no, I want to make sure Josh Allen, hopefully Josh Allen's playing that game because yeah, he moves the ticker enough against the Vikings where I would be very, very fearful of it being a one score game. And we would have to, I mean, we would need like a walk-off field goal to win or something like that. Like that would be because the offense would become more conservative naturally. And now you're limiting your big plays that this offense can produce. And this is a team that lives from its offense first. Let's not mm-hmm. kid anyone. That's where we live. So if you're limiting what you're most successful at, you're already kind of putting yourself on the back foot. And now you're leaning more on a defensive unit that doesn't need to be leaned on. It's a great, great, great defensive unit to lean on, might we add. But... That's not something that they're used to, and you don't really want to put them in that position. Hopefully, we don't have to put them in that position. Hopefully I love the question. Very, very, very good question. Yeah, I look. It, uh, Case Keenum is not Josh Allen. I, I to me, it's more of a. I love our defense. I think there's enough on offense where he could come in and just drive the ship. I do. I do have concerns about our offensive line that you really just will never have the opportunity to know until that day comes that Josh Allen does not play. Is it? Does he make them look better than they are with with his un, very underrated pocket presence and just unbelievable ability to escape free rushers? Because there's always a part of me that thinks maybe he does. Um, anyway, Luca, one last final point on this to wrap it up. You mentioned Case Keenum taking the Vikings to a NFC title game. In 2017, the Vikings were 13-3 and with Case Keenum at quarterback. They went out and decided... We're not good enough at quarterback. We need to upgrade. They paid all that money for Kirk Cousins. They haven't been 13 and three cents. Let that be a lesson to you, folks. Don't pay, don't pay for fool's gold. Although Kirk Cousins is better than Case Keenum. Anyway, this was fun, Luca. I look forward to our next round of uh, Rivals Watch. Um, being perfectly honest with those of you out there, we have not decided what group we're going to do next. Uh, we are going to be saving the AFC East for last, uh, but there will be obviously an NFC, an AFC North episode. And then we will group other teams together that makes sense to be grouped together. This is a four-part series. I liked it. I know you liked it. And uh, for Luca, this is Josh. And we will talk to you next time on Bill's Chat, a pro football podcast. 
Thanks again for listening to this episode of Bills Chat, a pro football podcast. Follow us on Twitter if you're not already, at Bills Chat Pod. And also be sure to subscribe to this channel on whatever platform it is you choose to spend your time listening to us every week. Look forward to talking to you all again next time.